millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver. Well, here we go, everyone. In mid-laugh, we are about to start another amazing episode of our killer, fantastic podcast, Dead Rock Stars. My name is John McIver. I'm with my dear friend and uh, confidant, uh, Mick Wall. And we are going to be talking today about perhaps the greatest female rock singer of them all. Is that a reasonable claim to make? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is too. I think it is, yeah. yeah. We're talking, of course, about Janice Joplin, mm. infamously a member of the 27 Club because that was the age at which she died. Mm-hmm. Born in 1943, died in 1970, but got a fair amount done in that short amount of time. Would you Would you say that's also a fair claim to make? Mm. Well, I mean, certainly enough to be immortal. Yeah. I always have this thing in my head where we go, you know, like, again, Jimi Hendrix, I needed three albums. Sure. But then... Every band in history would love to have done those three albums, you know. Janis Joplin clearly, arguably, not clearly actually, but arguably her best... I admire your caution. Well, because she was such a fuck-up, bless her heart, that that it could well be that her best days were behind her. But I think she still had a hell of a lot to give. Yeah. And I think it's a damn shame. And I think that's reflected in the fact that although she did do some great records... You know, we were talking just before we did this, yeah. and you were saying, you know, you're not particularly au fait with her music. No, not really. And I was saying, well, I think, actually, you're allowed not to be au fait with her music, because yeah. not a lot of people are. Yeah, yeah. You know, you either know those albums, mm-hmm. you either know Pearl, or the album she did with Big Brother and The Holding Company, or you don't. I think most yeah. of us just know her from clips on TV and Peace of My Heart and... Uh, yeah. Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Now, last week, were we not? We were talking about um, Jack Bruce, who was also born in 1943. And uh, parallels with Janice exist insofar as he got a lot done, burned very brightly in his younger days, and got over the demons that plagued him and continued to have a relatively long career. Now, Janice, conversely, could not get over those demons and they finished her off at the age of 27. So I wonder, had she managed to clean up in the way that Jack and and others did and do, who knows, she might have gone on to be delighting us for many decades or or was she on a death wish, do you think? you think she was on a trajectory down? I think it was definitely a trajectory. Listen, I come from nothing. You come from Oxfordshire. No, no, I don't actually. I come from London and uh, my parents were not educated. I was not educated. So I say that to preface what I'm about to say, which is that Jack Bruce came from an incredibly civilised background. Yeah. 
Educated as hell. Educated, proper musician. Will you stop sniffing? It's just cocaine. Really distracting. It's just cocaine. I don't understand. Whereas Janice came from a, a, a much poorer rural background. Yep. And although she had this fabulous voice, yeah. she was, you know, deeply screwed up from a child at school. Yeah. She was picked on, bullied. It was that kind of ugly duckling syndrome, you it's know. Terrible. That, She became very introverted. You know, when we think of this incredibly flamboyant, larger-than-life character that she became famous as, (laughs) that's not how she started out. And it was also untrained, right? This voice just erupted from her. Yeah, it was a real kind of... uh, Well, she was from Port Arthur in Texas, which... Texas is massive. We talked about Texas when we talked about Dimebag and Vinny, and one of the points you accurately made was that these people are not shrinking violets, right? Texans have their own identity. It's a big state full of big people. It's an enormous state. Texas is bigger than Germany, okay? (laughs) I mean, it's a country unto Mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. And in America, you know, it's it's known as the Lone Star State, Mm -hmm. you know, for a reason. I mean, they, they live and breathe different air, you know. Do you like it, Dana? I can't say I've been to Texas very often, but I've been to San Antonio, which I found out later is known as a mafia town. Been to Houston and Dallas, both of which are big cities. So if you like big cities, they've got all (laughs) that you need. But in America, the cities I preferred were always New York and Los Angeles. Yeah, right. Really like San Francisco, but mm. if you're looking for action, looking for some action, you go to uh, New York <laughs> or LA if you know where to go. LA's no. different; you need to know where to go. New York, it finds you, you know. Um, but she, she, she. Uh, I don't know where how we got onto this. Well, bit, I, I interrupted you to talk about Texas and how these are big people and whatever. So you know, she became a big personality, but through force of will, right? You know, the whole tears of a clown, the whole. I'm going to put up this enormous front to hide the fact that I'm actually very vulnerable, insecure, unsure of myself. And uh, that's very much the background of her childhood. A lonely girl picked on at school. For her looks. For her looks. She had such bad acne that she required dermabrasion to fix. Right. And, And what is dermabrasion? It's where you abrade the dermis. That's like a drill, isn't it, into your face? Well, a sanding it? thing, yeah. yeah. yeah not sanding? A, not a drill. <laughs> they sanded her face. Yeah, that's what abrasion is. I don't know. I'm asking you. They just remove a layer of skin. To... By sanding it? Well, yeah, it's not a sander, it's, but it's a similar abrasive action that takes a layer of skin off. Yeah, It's no fun for anyone, let alone a teenager, I imagine. What does it feel like? It feels like, ah, fuck! So you've had it? Oh, my skin is flawless. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal, they sanded her face. Yeah, it's called dermabrasion. Yeah, no, I know what it's called. <laughs> it's what it is that's freaking me out. I don't know the circumstances, but she had this cosmetic procedure. I mean, that to me is a kind of healing thing. I, I, it's weird. Healing? No, but look, it's a, to me, it's that's a, a kind of wounding it, well, thing. Well, no, it's a horrendous thing, but it, if you look at her. Adult photos, she appears to have a reasonably good complexion, right? So whatever, it obviously did really? the job. Really? What photos have you been looking at? No, no, she looks fine. She's, she's, she looks fine, does she's she? She's not an ugly good woman. Out, good outcome. She was, not an, <laughs> she was not an ugly woman, but she was a plain woman, as, as many of us are, rather plain. Are you speaking as a representative of the, <laughs> of the not ugly? It's the PPM, Plain People's <laughs> Movement. Uh, we, nowadays, look at extrovert people 
And mm. we are accustomed to saying to each other, yeah, yeah, you know, obviously there's some issues yeah. going on there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, obviously that person's fucked up inside. Perhaps this wasn't the case back then. And it was a surprise to find that someone who was this insanely confident persona on stage was actually a cringing, damaged person inside. Yeah, and I think also being a woman, you know. Oh, that's I a mean, whole other thing. Yeah, I mean, she was in a field of her own, more or less, in the rock field, right? Or blues rock. Well, in um, San Francisco, obviously there was Grace Slick yeah. with Jefferson Airplane. Grace was a very, very powerful, confident yeah. presence. But again, coming from a... Uh, I don't know what the PC word is, so I'm just going to come out and say it. Slightly more educated, sophisticated background. Janice was a Texan. But here's the th- point I wanted to make, is that with someone like Jack Bruce, who you mentioned earlier, and with yeah. a lot of these rock stars, the drug issues and the things that eventually either kill them or leave them maimed... Yeah tend to come after they've become famous or they suddenly have more money and access to those kinds of things. Yep. Janice was ahead of the curve in that regard. I mean, she first got to San Francisco in 1963. Mm. She was already using heroin and had a bad habit. God. And in fact, and this is long before she joined a group or anything yeah. like that, yeah. she was just another chick in San Francisco prior to hate Ashbury really taking off, exploding onto the seed. Can we so, define the, the start of the hippie movement? Well, in a, in a second. First, though, she goes back home. She uh, goes back to Port Arthur to recuperate, to recover. She's made out for the big city. and It's been a disaster, and she's gone home to lick her wounds. And, and in fact, she was talking at that point about going home, getting married to a regular guy, yeah. and utterly going for the suburban lifestyle. Yeah. She goes back and it immediately has a rude awakening. Uh, This isn't related to the trip that happens later after she's famous. This is pre-fame. She goes back and it's just as she remembered it, only worse. So, but cleaned up from the heroin momentarily, she decides, right, well, I will go back to San Francisco. By 65, San Francisco is now becoming an epicenter. A nest of hippiedom. It is. And you said, said, when could... I can tell you exactly in terms of turning point yeah, that's what but obviously all these things mm. are gradual mm. what's regarded as the turning point is i think january 67 or maybe february and in very early 67 there is what the first b in mm. in i think golden gate park jim morrison is there loads of what were known as freaks at the time mm. but then become hippies mm more popularly known as hippies but again that word hadn't quite come into the vernacular yet freaks beatniks, beatniks. and human being human be in yes. or having a be in and that was you know music poetry talks drugs sex all those things that were still very novel yeah. in the mid 60s particularly in conservative america mm. so she comes back in time for that. She embraced this culture? She did because she was a freak Mm. in her own mind. You know, she was one of nature's freaks. But not only is she trying to prove that by being not the normal, Mm. desirable sort of person, Mm. making a virtue of the fact that, you know, she is who she is, Mm. which is what this is all about on paper. Yeah. She's a chick in a completely macho environment because, mm-hmm. you know, whatever we think of the hippies now with their free love and yada, yada, it definitely 
was a step towards feminism, towards getting homosexuality decriminalised, civil rights. There were absolute overlaps and tie-ins to that. But the day-to-day reality in somewhere like Haight-Ashbury in 66 is the guys are running the show. You know, the, the chicks are there to roll joints, mm-hmm. be fucked by whoever, mm. and be good old ladies. Mm. You know, they're not making any major decisions. I mean, Grace Slick was dominating and intelligent enough to somehow prevail in that milieu. Yeah. <clears throat> Janice is like a bull in a china shop. She just... <laughs> and she doesn't do it by being sophisticated or clever or... You know, she comes in and she's just badder ass. Mm, she's mm. a badder ass. Ba- she's a bigger badass. Worse ass. <laughs> you know, she's a kick-ass mm. rock and roll chick who really can out-drink, out-drug, out-fuck everybody. You know, this is a girl that used to start the day on the road touring when she has a responsibility mm. with two double Jack Daniels, eight in the morning. And... David Dalton, who wrote a book about Janice, a great book, very much of its time, talked about how she actually wasn't fond of acid. Yeah. And I get that because I think her whole life was an acid trip. You know, she wasn't a comfortable person that wanted to freak themselves out. She was already freaked out. Yeah, if you look into the caverns of your own mind, what might you find? And uh, I can understand if you were troubled. You might not want to do that. Absolutely. That's why I always say, well, getting good circumstances, that's fine. But for Janice, there are no good circumstances. Mm. So she wasn't fond of weed, although she smoked a ton of it because that's what you did. She tried acid, but mainly she liked heroin and she liked alcohol. For the reasons which we mentioned a couple of episodes ago, it switches on a giant mute button in your brain, leaving you immune to all the horrible voices inside your head. Well, it does, although she somehow, with her kind of massive appetite, she's essentially an alcoholic who likes heroin. You know, in the 80s, when I first knew Slash of Guns N' Roses, all those pictures of him with the Jack Daniels bottle, that was reality. I think the first two years I knew Slash... I'm not exaggerating, and I saw him a lot in those days. Yeah. I never saw him where he didn't have a bottle of Jack Daniels in his hand. God. Never. I mean, maybe first thing in the morning, but, you that know. stuff's horrible. Janice, never be seen without a bottle of Southern Comfort in her Oh, even worse. Well, that was her favourite. She once famously smashed a bottle of Southern Comfort over Jim Morrison's head. <laughs> what had he done to her family? Oh, he's being typical drunken pig, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He'd probably said something... Well, he definitely said something to her and she just smashed a bottle over his head. I said, uh, would you like to read my poem, Death and My Car Car the World? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think it could have been anything kind of like, can I fuck you or something, because she fucked everybody. Mm. She fucked everybody. Her band, her girlfriends. Mm. Oh, Peggy something. Oh, loads. Well, that was was a more permanent fixture, but anybody and everybody. You know, at Monterey Pop, they always go on about... It was the turning point, you know, for Hendrix. Hendrix mm. now becomes a big star in America after Monterey, in the wake of Monterey Pop. Yeah. Janice, definitely, that launched her career, Monterey Pop. But backstage, her and Jimmy were fucking in the toilets. Heavens above. Classy. No, that is pretty classy. Dead rock stars. Too much fucking perspective. How did she break into the industry? How did she become a, a singer? She had a great voice, and Mm -hmm. in high school, she'd started using that voice. A lot of gospel music background, folk. You know, Texas is a soulful place. The local radio, Bessie Smith, 
the really big soul singers, mm, mm. all these people with a very, you know, uh, that real heartfelt, pure American mm. blues, folk, Americana background. She had that. Uh, those like me who don't know her music that well, apart from the hits, tend to associate her with that incredible raspy blues shriek. Mm. Was that the whole of her oeuvre when it came to singing styles or could she sing a sort of a more restrained way too? Oh no, I think she had a great range, but inevitably when you're talking 66, 67, 68 the technology has not caught up. (laughs) The audiences she was playing to are all tripping and out of their brains and drunk and going crazy. I mean American audiences have always been much more electric and raucous than people who haven't experienced it understand. Yeah. But the noise, the action, you know, it was it was all going on. And to kind of prevail in those atmospheres, and also quite often on multi-band bills at the Fillmore in San Francisco yeah. and other places, you had to really explode <laughs> onto the stage. <laughs> and, uh, and she could do that. No, she had a marvellous voice. And if you listen to the album Pearl, yeah. that definitely showcases her range a lot better. The recordings she made with Big Brother and the Holding Company, they're sort of as live. Yeah, you know, she so thrills as the album might know. Yeah, has that um, artwork by Robert <laughs> Crumb, right? Which you can just sit and just gaze at. But I've done a little bit of work with the comics movement, right? Of which he was famously a leader, and uh, you can lose yourself in that artwork, just as you could. Uh, I don't know what was the guy Rick something who did the Santana artwork. You know, the crazy, crazy Rick Griffin. Thank you. Yeah. Whose work you could put a poster on your wall and just sit and watch it all day. I bought his flying eye poster in San Francisco oh, wow, wow. in 1990 for $200. Um, Wait, the original? No. No, a poster, a, a limited edition. Yeah, 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 yeah. A numbered limited edition. Oh, fantastic. And because it's the late 80s, early 90s, and everything 60s is considered yeah. really beyond the pale at this point. And in 94, Mm. four years later, I remember my girlfriend at the time, furious that I'd wasted $200, which was about 150 quid or something on this poster. Mm. Wouldn't even let me put it up in the flat, you know. Anyway, four years later, I am desperately broke. You know, Mm. there's no text or anything in those days. There's a fax and a phone. Mm. And mine had definitely died. I mean, they just, they never happened anymore. Very low ebb. And a friend, in inverted commas, Mm -hmm. offered me £500 for the Rick Griffin poster. Very nice. I'm thinking $200, about 150 quid, four years later, 500 And I'm I'm on the dole, right? Yeah. I went, yes. He literally sent someone around to pick it up, and they peeled out 500 notes. I'm in heaven. And I think it was one month later Mm. in Q magazine. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> uh, they had a piece about Rick Griffin and yeah. his posters, and there was the flying eye poster, my poster, yeah. £2,000. Oh, dude. And that was nearly 25 <clears throat> years ago. Can you imagine what it would be worth now? It would be worth a huge amount because there's a there's been an explosion of that culture. It's now, amazing stuff. I, yeah. I loved it. I loved the visual art that accompanied this crazy music. Tell so, me about... Sorry, God, I was going no, to say, no, tell no. me about the band. Tell me about Big Brother and Hollywood. Well, Kong. I mean, Janice, you know, inevitably... She later characterised it as she fucked her way into the band. You know, mm, I mean, that, yeah. that was her making fun. But yeah, she pretty much <laughs> fucked the guys and ended up singing. You know, the hard, sometimes the hardest thing to find is a singer. You know, you, you can be a great guitarist yeah. or bassist. Yeah. Or, in your case, you know, one of... Triangle player. One of the great uh, bassists of your generation. 
Um, oh, thank you. But what are you going to do in rock and roll unless you've got a great front uh, man, person. front person? Yeah. And um, it's interesting you mentioned Robert Crumb because, you know, she looked like one of Robert Crumb's typical female characters, yeah, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. But some sort of... Uh, yeah, I mean, they were always exaggerated, yeah. so they'd have these enormous breasts yeah. and enormous Serena Williams arse, yes, you know. yes. But they were always sort of just bursting with vitality. Incredibly and, vivid, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And erotic in a real kind of fucked up four lines of totally coke and a bottle of whiskey sort of way. way. Yeah. I want that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tackle it. Give me a couple of hours to prepare. And so she kind of was that living embodiment. Yeah. You know, yeah. she was wild, crazy, loud, loud, but just this amazing voice. It's a bit like when Izzy Stradlin said about Axl Rose, well, he's crazy. Let's get him at the front of the band, yeah, you right. know. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, it clicks, it happens. I mean, uh, you know, the, the San Francisco at this point is jammed with noodling motherfuckers tripping out of their heads. Yeah. You know, Grateful Dead, New Riders of the Purple Sage. Uh, <laughs> right. Here's a chick can actually sing mm. and she's got a hinterland she knows the Bessie Smith and Solomon Burke and all these people Solomon and, Burke. and she can belt this shit out yeah yeah. and, and so, inhabit the lyric inhabit the songs in yeah. a way that she just they burst out of her heart almost when she sang she railed against playing um, in front of audiences that were busy right you know smoking joints and talking Chatting. amen and she said I'm on stage talking about my pain yeah which she was. Mm. And you can see that in those famous clips from Monterey. And if, uh, there's a great, some great clips on YouTube of her on the Dick Cavett show in the late 60s. Mm. Mm. And for sure, she's the real deal. And, of course, retrospectively, we can look at her and say, well, great feminist icon. But it's kind of... It always feels patronising to me yeah. because you're kind yeah. of saying, yeah. here's this woman that wasn't Marilyn Monroe yeah. who looked... You know, like one of the guys. Behaved like one of the guys. But more so. It was kind of frantically overcompensating for the fact that she wasn't one of the guys. But she wasn't a dolly bird either. So so how do you make it? Well, she's got this great voice. And at the end of the day, that's the ace. Her talent was was undeniable. But the grit... In the pearl, I just realised. No pun, but there is a pun. I like it. It Mm. is her pain. Mm. You know, by the time she becomes super famous, we've got the feathers, the beads. She's kind of like a female Hendrix in the way she dresses, you know. Good parallel. Did she achieve massive fame in her lifetime? Um, I guess I'm asking you for how many stars death is a career move. Well, yeah, there you go. I mean, that's the pivot. You know, she was absolutely famous. I mean, she achieved boatloads of recognition. At the same time, this is the dawn of music criticism as a serious thing. Yeah. So she also got a lot of bad reviews. I mean, the, you know, the, the late 60s, idealist fascism. So, for instance, the whole thing about uh, leaving Big Brother and the holding company. Right. Which was seen as a sellout, man. People have been in her, in her ear about how she was the real talent and she should dump this loser band, right? Mm, yeah. So she went off and formed, what was the name of her first? Was it Cosmic? Um, the Cosmic Blues Band. And, and and then later the Full Tilt Boogie Band. Are you saying that these moves were not popular at the time? No. Yeah. Because, you know, Big Brother and the holding company, that you know, they're for real. Yeah. They're, they're your, these days they'd call them your bros, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, OK. They're your communal cosmic... Soulmates, your musical soulmates. But she was the star of the band. I mean, that, that's I mean, a- absolutely. Yeah, I okay. mean, Big Brother and the Holding Company were a dynamite live band. Yeah, 
the problem they had was they'd done their album, mm. which was you know pretty much recorded as live. Mm. So it's ramshackle, and but as we've discussed many times in those days, people were putting out two, three albums a year. Yeah, yeah. It really was more of a. We've kind of come back to that in a way these days, where it's yeah. more of a souvenir of the show. Yeah, it's not like this is us for the next two years. You know, you didn't like that one. There's another one. You Got know. it. There's the sound of breaking glass, for example, on right. cheap thrills, right? Right, yeah, right. And, studio, and of course, it, 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 it's wonderful. It's it's charming. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a complete beautiful mess. You know, it's like a that. beautiful yeah, yeah. mess. Yeah. No, I know exactly um, what you mean. Yeah. But at Monterey, Clive Davis, you know, uh, years later, Clive Davis would sign Whitney Houston. Mm. You know, Clive Davis signed many, many people. Clive Davis comes in and says, "Right, we're going to sign you to CBS. You know, that's Columbia." And I'm going to put a million dollars in here. We're going to get Albert Grossman to manage you, who mm. manages Bob Dylan. Mm. You know, these are now heavyweights coming in. Yeah. And the band, that's fine as long as Janice is up front. Mm. And they go in and try recording them. And the band can't cut it. They can cut it on their own terms. But, you know, Clive Davis, Albert Grossman, and they're saying, oh, take three. <laughs> And take three's nothing like take two, and take two's nothing like take one. And they're mm, going, can't mm. work with these fuckers. Mm. Now, let's not forget, in the 60s, as is the case today, most live bands are shit in the studio, you <laughs> know. But in the 60s, it, well, you just went, well, fuck it, we'll get the session guys in. Yeah. That's how Jimmy Page became one of the wealthiest musicians in Britain long before he formed Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Yeah. Them with Van Morrison couldn't play. The Who couldn't play in the studio, I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. The Kinks, you know. Even the Beatles had fucking orchestras and trombones and George Martin to figure it all Playing out for them. Piano, yeah. So they're like, well, let's get the real guys in. But Big Brother and the Holding Company aren't the Kinks in 1964. They're not Van Morrison and them in 65. They're Big Brother and the Holding Company. And they are Grand Fromage in Hey Ashbury, man. You don't replace us. I mean, well, actually, we fucking do mm. because we got a big bag of money. And Janice, you okay if we... Uh... Mm. And of course she said, no problemo. So they bring in a much slicker bunch of guys, which they kind of disguise the fact and try and keep it real by calling them the Cosmic Blues Band. Cosmic with a K. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the audience smells a rat. Yeah. And Rolling Stone calls it a rat. Yeah. It looks like a rat, smells like a rat. Scampers like one. It's a rat. It's a goddamn rat. Fuck that rat. So, yes, yeah, so she comes in for criticism. Yeah. Meantime, Did, she doesn't give a fuck. I mean, no, she does. I, I was going to say, I assume she didn't take the criticism well, but actually. No, she took it all to heart, but she wasn't uh, going to show that. No. And, of course, she is becoming a bigger and bigger star. Hmm. She's almost in a field of one because apart from Grace Slick... Yeah. There's no one else to touch her. Right, right. I mean, you're living in an era of Aretha Franklin, Dusty Springfield. Plenty of great female soul and jazz singers, but in blues or in blues rock. Well, rock. I mean, full-on psychedelic acid rock. Yeah. You know, she could get on a stage with Hendrix. Right. She could get on a stage with The Doors or Jefferson Airplane. Yeah. You name it, she's a goddess in that crowd. And apart from Grace, I mean, I'm trying to think. I'm, got to, Me too. I can't think of anybody else. <sighs> I, I would think that... Mary it, Hopkin, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Probably took till the 70s, I would think, before, and 80s maybe, before you had women fronting rock bands in larger numbers, right? You had plenty of pop, 
completely disposable stuff like that. Lots of soul, obviously. Hmm. But this kind of incredible and ballsy, I'm, you know, is, is interesting that I use that word. This kind of ballsy rock. Yeah. No, non more ballsy. Right. It must have been tough. Balls out. Yeah. And then, of course, I guess, um, uh, you know, Chrissy Hind, of course, but I guess in Britain, yeah. there's an even more obvious one in Elkie Brooks. Elkie Brooks. Who was the singer in Vinegar Joe in the early 70s. Yeah. Who absolutely was following in Janice's footsteps. Right, good, good. Great voice, really outre presence on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, her backing band fell apart. Her backing band included uh, Robert Palmer, of course. Hmm. It wasn't her backing band. Sorry, Vinegar Joe was a regular band. Yeah, yeah. Robert was the other singer. Mm-hmm. And he got horribly jealous over the fact that she was getting all the attention. So that I think Christmas 73 or something like that, 74, the Melody Maker, where they did their sort of who's going to be the big yeah. star of the coming year. Elkie was on the cover. <laughs> and no Robert. And that essentially was the end of Vinegar Joe. But then it cut to a few years later and Elkie... Uh, Bonnie Tyler. Elkie Brooks, Bonnie Tyler. <laughs> Who are we talking about? Elkie does a song ah. called... I don't know. <laughs> Pearl's a singer. Ah. Pearl's a singer. It's not my ear. Do, 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 do. But you just mentioned Bonnie Tyler. I did, yeah. That's a, that... That, that, well, that's another great Is example. It... <laughs> of, well, the voice. Bonnie Tyler, how about her? Yeah, and Jim Steinman. Bonnie, the female meatloaf. Right. <laughs> Only much better looking. I'm sure we're missing people out still. You could say polystyrene. You could say... Susie Sue, you mentioned accurately earlier. Yeah, you could say the girl in... Chrissy um, Hind. Chrissy Hind. Oh, Chrissy Hind. Yeah. Now that's... All right. Because the thing about Polly, one hit wonder, you know, and it wasn't even a hit. You know, it was <laughs> it was big on the enemy, you know. Chrissy Hind. So now... The Pretenders came now out in, you're I think, talking. 75, 76. They're quite early on, weren't No, they? no, they were 79, my friend. Oh, my word. Yeah. I'm thinking of a different Chrissy Hind. Sorry. Well, Chrissy Hind was around in the early to mid-70s writing for the NME. That was what I meant. Of so, course it was. Chrissy Hind, I think, is the best mm, example we've mm. come up with yet because she absolutely would have grown up with Janis Joplin yeah. on her horizon. Yeah, yeah. And Chrissy, you know, again, was not your conventional... Dolly girl. No, no, she didn't look she, much at all. She, yeah. and, and she completely beat the guys at their own game. She mm. was tough, tough mm. chick. Mm. Very sexy and alluring, but that wasn't why you loved the Pretenders. You loved the Pretenders because great songs, great band. That song on their first album, I forget what it's called, but there's one bit where she goes, why don't she just fuck off? <laughs> and it was like, fantastic. Oh, uh, we haven't mentioned Debbie Harry. Yeah, we haven't mentioned Debbie Harry. Different music, it's much more understated. Well, the difficulty in comparing Debbie Harry to Janis Joplin is Debbie Harry is a pin-up. She was a playboy bunny or whatever the fuck oh, they're called. and a waitress. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. A, Debbie was a raunchy chick and she definitely played hard with the boys. But at the end of the day, the group was called Blondie mm. and she dyed her hair blonde and she was cute as hell and sexy, sexy, sexy. So all this isn't in parallel Janice didn't need looks. She had everything. Brilliant. I like your analysis. And I'm so glad you showed up to help. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver. It must have been a lonely place to occupy. Oh, God, yeah. Can you imagine... Mm. And also, you know, she's trying to prove herself as a woman, trying to prove herself as a rock star, trying to prove herself as a funky chick who's mm. more far out than Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison. Yeah, God. She There's had all more... this on her shoulders, right? She had all this on her shoulders. Plus she was using the smack. Totally into Fleetwood smack. Fleetwood Mark. Yeah, totally into all that. But, you know, she's this super talent and people do want to work with her yeah the records are you know making their presence felt her shows are going down a storm and she reaches this point where she decides to go back to port arthur in texas again the hometown and this time she wants to go back to kind of shove it down their throats because she's now this big star was this the high school reunion yeah oh my god now anyone who's been to one of those fucking events must know how weird the whole thing is. Right. Imagine going back as a huge star who people resent and didn't uh, like in the first place. And who they hated in the first place. What are they going to do? They would have crucified her if they... But she obviously it's imagined... It's her naivete that, that saddens me, you know. She must have thought... It'd be a, we were talking about this before and you said that she, she was probably expecting a, a procession down the street and a float saying, we love Janice, welcome home. We're so sorry, we got it all wrong. I think that's a common fantasy with many, many, many people who've mm. overcome tricky circumstances or were treated unfairly, you know, they get their own back. Yeah. Validation, vindication and apologies, all that stuff. In her mind, she really did have this yeah. incredible thing to come back and go, take that, my friend. It was only you know, a few years before that she'd been in school. And, of course, it didn't work. It backfired. She oh, had a terrible me. experience. She did a press conference, right, when she was there, and all the reporters there just laid into her. You can see this footage. It's been on TV as part of a documentary. No doubt it's on YouTube. And it's just unpleasant because she doesn't have any armour against this. She's not like the Beatles. You can just laugh right in the face of these bastards. She has nothing. And she's very, very uh, naked and open, and it's awful to see. She's naked. Yeah, man. She's sitting there naked. Mentally naked. Oh, me- yeah. 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 Defenceless, yeah, and that, that's why it's sad to see. No, I'm making a stupid joke. I mean, it, it was horrific. It was, yeah, uh, yeah. you might say, a, a, a ritual disemboweling. Yeah, and I think, I don't know if she ever got over it, because by the time she gets back to... San Francisco. Well, in fact, by that stage, she's now down in L.A. You know, she's kind of left that scene behind and she's in L.A. And she's working on what becomes the Pearl album. You know, I'm just going to butt in. I remember that watching that press conference and uh, the reporter says, 
so Janice, how come the boys at school never took you to the prom? And instead of saying, ah, why don't you go fuck yourself, mm. as any of us would, she says, oh, well, I, I guess they just didn't want to. And it's awful to see. It's just an incredibly sad, quiet little response. And uh, that's just popped into my head. So just to illustrate the point we're just making about how tough this homecoming but, but was. But that shows you, doesn't it, that no middle ground. You no. know, that, that It's no. either this completely out there, in your face, far out chick, come yeah. on, drink yeah, yeah, up, yeah, yeah. motherfucker, party, you know, or this very vulnerable little voice. Yeah, a child, really. Yeah. I doubt she ever really did grow up well, in, in the 20s, regard. you know. Listen, people spend their whole lives in therapy trying to get over what she went through in childhood. And people shouldn't underestimate the age of 27. There's a reason why it's 27, not 25 or 30. Lots of people do die at that age, but there is a point in your late 20s when you have to transition from being essentially a grown-up kid in your 20s to adulthood with adult expectations. A lot of people can't handle that transition, and that's why these things happen. Well, particularly in the late 60s, early 70s in L.A., and you're a big rock star. (laughs) It's not exactly mentally healthy circumstances, yeah, right? So you're feeling down. Well, listen, have a line. Have a bit of this. Big old line. Inject then we'll this. drink a bottle of Southern Comfort. You'll feel a lot better. And by the way, that guy you met just now, we'll, we'll, we'll fuck him mm. and his girlfriend. Fuck her too. It'll mm. be great. You've got to feel so good about yourself afterwards. Yeah, exactly. This is it. How is any of this designed to build your self-esteem except in the most transient way? Although, as I always say, we have to remember the time. Yes. The 70s brings a completely different perspective, and that comes post the death of Joplin, post the death of Hendrix, post the death of Morrison, Jones. In what way is it different in the 70s? Because we're starting to see the dark side. You know, we've had Woodstock, but we've also had Altamont. Yeah. You know, we're starting to see that this dream actually has a nightmarish aspect. Mm, Vietnam as well. Absolutely. Mm. Um, Manson. Charles Manson, yeah. That was Mm -hmm. Ian in the background there. Yeah, he's earned his uh, pay this week for saying that. (laughs) Does he get paid? Yeah. It lunches on him. (laughs) You know, even in the 70s, you know, I moved into a hippie house when I was 17 Mm. in London... People I moved in with were all much older than me. They're all in their mid-20s. Mm. So they'd been through the 60s, the mm. late 60s. Mm. It really was a new frontier. Mm. And alcohol was considered old poor hat, show, very hat, poor dude. show. Yeah, Well, not even old hat, but it's what your parents drank. <laughs> yeah, you right. ain't your parents. Yeah, yeah. Now, these days, you know, it's all a mishmash. But back then, there was a clear delineation. Right. Those people who'd been through the Second World War, perhaps even fought in it, and then had all that thrown back in their faces because their children went off and took a load of heroin and acid. Well, it was was alcohol no good, cigarettes, why bother when you can smoke weed? All drugs are good, except heroin. But even heroin, you know, if you're a cool man, you know, as long as you don't do it for more than three days in a row... Can you imagine these days saying, I'm just going to do heroin, but only for three days in a row? People go, what the fuck are you talking about? Back then, it's like, oh, that is, so what you do, it if you're going to have three days, then you have three days, like, oh, cool, that sounds all right to me. You know, it wasn't a time of discipline or rehab or looking at the holistic side of things. Drugs were holistic. The hippie nation was the future, was the now, was going to rid us of this awful, awful world. They were going to put acid in the tap water. Exactly. Although, as I say, in Janice's case, she wasn't keen on the acid, but 
there was no one to say to her or any other people that died. And, and the ones that didn't die, like David Crosby, you know, who's just been playing recently in London. Mm, I interviewed him. Years in jail, hospital. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. You know, even if you didn't die, you lost <laughs> a limb, you know, you, you lost... Yeah. Or you lost a decade at the other end. Absolutely. Like Jack Bruce and other people we talked about. There's no one to go, Janice, you know what? Let's have a quiet night in. Talking of people who weren't there to support her, did she have any uh, long-term partners? You mean like long-term supportive people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Relationships that that, that weren't transient. No, not. No, I mean there there were people, but this series of lovers. This well, I think series of sex acts. Yes, you know, I mean there there were lovers, there were recurring lovers. Yeah, but it was again the the whole free love thing. It you know even I growing up in the early seventies had Mm. this horrible thing drilled into my head that. Oh, wow, man, like, you're really possessive. Phew, wow. <laughs> so that's kind of who you are. You're thinking, mm. well, I've, I've got to let you fuck my girlfriend. Mm. Wow, you kind of hung up, aren't you? <laughs> well, what kind of... I get, I get it. No, I get you, man. You know, you're, like, on that trip of possession. Now, listen, first time I went to San Francisco was 1980, <laughs> 10 years after Janice died. Mm. And I remember being in a bar somewhere and some woman just turning to me and going... Fuck you, man. I totally fucking get you. You're like one of these fucked up greedhead assholes. Why don't you, like, get the fuck out of here and, and let us all have our space? I was 22. God. Looking for a good time. I hadn't even looked at her or spoken to her. I just must have said something to the barman, like, mm. can I have a beer, please? Cheers, mate. You know, yeah, fuck you with your cheer. You know, it was like, God. it was so kind of radical and, mm. you know, all this kind of. And, and 10 years earlier, oh, oh, wow, man. So, so like, what you're <laughs> saying is, you're just going to be like together forever and you'll never like fuck yeah, anybody right. else. Wow, mm. wow, man. So antiquated. Yeah, you need some acid, you know. <laughs> Well, get over that trip, man. You know, live outside yourself, man. Love the one you're with. Mm. Crosby, Stills and Nash again. Mm. Love the one you're with. Janice loved pretty much every fucking one she was with. Searching for something, I'm sure. That said, and I I don't think this is widely known because certainly I didn't know. Yeah. But when I was researching my Doors book a few years ago, I was lucky enough to interview quite a lot of people from those days. Now, their producer, Paul Rothschild who uh, died, sadly, long before I got a chance to interview him. But all the people, Jack Holtzman, who was the president yeah. of yeah. Elektra, yeah. who produced that final album when Rothschild bowed out? I don't know, I'll have to consult your Damn, book. yeah. Um, anyway, him. Anyway, mm. they all told me that, because Paul Rothschild produced Pearl. Yeah. He was working on Pearl when Janice died. You know, she was due to come in the next day and finish the vocals on pretty much the last track. Yeah. And I was told that Rothschild was madly in love with Janice. Mm. And this was at a time when he'd made all the Doors albums but was now balking at making one more, which would have been L.A. Woman. Yeah. Because Morrison was a big, fat, drunken, offensive pig. And, yeah. he, and, he, and as far as he was concerned, this is his view, yeah. as far as he was concerned, his voice was shot mm-hmm. and they'd been treading water. Meanwhile, he's fallen in love with Janice. They've had a, an, a call it an affair. Yeah. They, they've made love because she just is making love every day with everybody. Mm. But for him, it's a thing. And he goes in to make that album with all the love in the world. Mm. 
And then right at the end, she dies, and it pretty much finishes him off. He just about finishes making that record. And at that point, there's no way he's going to go in and do another Doors record or anything. He's yeah. he's done. Mm-hmm. So when you said, did she have regular lovers? Yeah. Paul Rothschild, as I said, I don't think this is widely known. Paul Rothschild absolutely loved her, heart mm-hmm. and the soul. Mm-hmm. And maybe, who knows, maybe, because Pearl went on to be a huge hit. Yeah. Yeah. The full tilt boogie band was now in place and they were very good. Mm. And I think, you know, two years in the 60s was like 20 years now. I mean, mm. I think um, that was a tremendous album. And maybe, 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 maybe. Of course. Yeah. So tell me about her death. What are the facts? I said earlier on, no one said, Janice, let's have a quiet night in. <laughs> She was having a quiet night in on her own. She'd been let down. She'd made plans with friends. Uh, those two were going to come and see her, her boyfriend at the time. Her sort of short-lived boyfriend, as it were, short-lived relationship. And uh, Penny, Peggy, her Peggy. long-term female lover, yeah, yeah. They hadn't come to see her, right? So she was on her own. Yeah, there were various plans. Uh, you know, she, you know, what are you doing tonight? Oh, yeah, definitely see you later. Later mm. come. Oh, I can't make it, you know. Where was she at the time? At a hotel yeah. in L.A. Mm. making the Pearl album. So Janice is on her own, quiet night in. What do you do? We well, got a bunch of smack. I mean, she was injecting smack for years. This isn't someone who pissed yeah. around. You know, it had got. I say bad. It had got very bad in the, in the last year or two. It, it got worse and worse. That's what smack but, does. Uh, it tends to. It yeah, never yeah. gets better and better. Okay. Mm. Because it's a truly addictive drug. Yeah. I mean, sugar is a truly addictive drug, but. If you get used to two sugars in your tea, you're unlikely to go to 20 sugars. Yeah. Heroin, you start out with two sugars, and by a year later, it's 200. Mm. It's not like you're feeling 200 times better than you did with the two. You actually feel like maybe you've got one. You know, it, it's one of those of really self-defeating things. So it turns out they decided, they kind of put it together afterwards, that there was a particularly potent ah. form of smack on the street. I read this, because... Other uh, people died. Right, right. Other people died. But the fact that she was such a heavy drinker... Mm. Booze was involved as well, was it? Janice was essentially an alcoholic, you know. The, the, smack, the smack was the kind of icing on the cake. When we, I'm but sorry, the, I keep but, burning in. When we talked about Phil Liner, mm. you made the very good point that um, heroin and alcohol should and do not mix. It's a fatal... It is a fatal combo. Mm. Absolutely fatal combo. If you want to go out on a high, as it were... You have to do the drinking first because mm. once you do the smack, you can't really tolerate the booze to enough effect. But if you were to drink a bottle of whiskey and then shoot a big armful of very potent smack, it's good night Vienna. Because your heart can't handle it or um, your brain? I, what is it? What it's just cocktail. a toxic combination. Mm. The two things don't tolerate each other and they overwhelm you. Mm. So as your body is trying to cope with a bottle of... I mean, if, I, if you drank a bottle of whiskey right now, <laughs> you know, that would be pretty hefty. Bad enough. Or yeah. maybe two bottles. Jesus. Now we're going to inject you with some particularly potent heroin, but a nice big dose. I mean, without the booze, that would knock you out. Mm. With the booze, knocks you out for good. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a particularly high dose. Yeah. Any combo is extremely lethal. It's just that when you're 25 years old and you've got people around you to slap you around and throw coke up your nose and, Mm. you know, you survive. She was on her own that night. Mm. She was on her own and um, that was a quiet night in for Janice. Is there any 
suspicion or conspiracy theory. It might have been a suicide. It might have been a you know something dodgy. There was no note, and you know in her terms of her career, mm. it was all going smoothly. Mm. You know the album was great. Paul loved her. Paul yeah. was taking good care of her in the studio. Yeah. She had her boyfriends and lovers. She was twenty-seven. I mean, given her psychological profile, yeah. you could see her committing suicide. Yeah. But unlike Cobain or Cornell or others that have done that, yeah. on the record there doesn't seem to be anything to suggest that this was a, an event about to happen. It does seem like a disaster waiting to happen, mm. but it seems like a misadventure as opposed to I've had it all, goodbye, cruel world. I think it was more a case of... Uh, I'm on my own, what do I do? I mean, she she was injecting all the time. Jesus. You know, there's a story when she came to London, you know, a year before, where she's photographed outside the Albert Hall and her jeans have got spots of blood in oh, it yeah. where yeah. she'd been injecting that morning. Junkies get up in the morning and they fix. Mm. And then another one, a few hours later, then another, then another, then another. It doesn't get better and better. Yeah. It gets worse and worse and worse. You can't manage it and keep it going. At There's no managing. There's no managing. Oh, dear. And it's now a cliche. People die of heroin nearly always for the same reason. And it's, well, this is the dose I always take. Mm. But what you're getting is maybe three times because it's much more potent. Or yeah. this is the dose I always take. But I actually drank a bottle of whiskey. Earlier, yeah, you know. I see. Yeah. Or, you know what? I'm clean. I've been clean for six weeks. I deserve, you know? And then a little bit extra in there, mm. you're gone. Jesus. Well, I'm depressed. Should we tell our listeners not to do the whiskey and uh, heroin combination? Yeah, in case any listeners out there absolutely aren't intelligent enough to discern from this that whiskey plus heroin, not good. Don't. <laughs> Do it, Twitty. I know our listeners. they got some story to tell. They know the score. Do they? All right, look. Not all of them. I want to talk a bit about her legacy, not in a stars out of five kind of way. You referred earlier to her status as a feminist rock icon and how that felt a little bit patronising, a little bit odd, and I agree with that because she hardly lived a life which was an example to us all by dying of a drug overdose at the age of 27. Conversely, she fought that gender identity war and won because she did commercially and critically very, very well. Mm. She sang in an incredibly, I don't want to say aggressive way, but it was it was full of energy and vim. <laughs> very forceful. Very forceful, very powerful. You listened to her, didn't you? And you watched her. So she stamped her mark on, as you were saying, a really masculine music scene. That's got to be an inspiration for today's, you know, women and girls who are who are musicians or wanting to be musicians. I totally get that, and I'm glad she exists in that sense. What's gutting is that she couldn't make the ultimate triumph and live a long and productive, happy life. I think also it reflects well on rock music, because I don't care if this sounds patronising, but it occurs to me that, unlike Grace Slick, who was beautiful and desirable in the conventional sense, Janice wasn't in the conventional sense, But she created a space that hadn't existed before. Right, a pioneer. An absolute pioneer. Okay, it was through her demons, her insecurities. Well, you could say that about Sinatra or Elvis or whatever. Okay, there are reasons she was like she was. But the fact is, before Janice, there wasn't anybody like her. There were some big-boned 
old uh, black jazz and soul singers. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, soul singers. But in terms of rock and pop and that whole area, she created a space that did not exist before. Mama Cass yeah. was around the same time. Mama Cass loved her, was there at Monterey. Yeah. But Mama Cass was in a group mm-hmm. who wrote California Dreaming. Different music entirely. And they also had a beautiful blonde girl in the yeah, group. Yeah, you know, yeah. there was a, it was Offset. Yeah. She did have a solo career, but Janice was so, you know, I, I hate when people use that word iconic because they oh, totally overuse totally it. Used, yeah. If you listen to Six Music, all these people you've never heard of, all <laughs> iconic, people use it now as a way of saying, well, you've never heard of him and he never sold any fucking records, but completely iconic in mm. the hip hop community. You Ted know? Rogers was iconic on 321. No, no, he was iconic. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Joel's just doing the little three, two, one. Um, yeah, that's gesture. easy. Go on, do it again. How do you do it? No, I fucked up. No, I can't do it. It's no. not, it doesn't really work for podcasts. So no, no, know. but I, you know. So I think Janice. Dead, Ted Roger. She, uh, yeah. Could we do him on this? Maybe. So uh, she did this thing that hadn't been done before. She left a door open, but who did walk through? Well, that was my next question. Okay, in the eighties. The biggest pop artist in the world was Madonna, right? But that's about a long about, way about, away. about as opposite to Janice as you could possibly get, except musically, maybe, musically. except maybe in attitude. Right, her forceful character beating the guys at yeah, their own yeah, game. Yeah, totally. And then beyond that, into the nineties, you had well, the obvious cliched suggestion is Alanis Morissette, but that there or, were a lot of very, very strong or, women in or the Courtney 90s. Love. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So from, you know, in the 80s and 90s on, you had these very... Amy Winehouse in more recent times. So, but in the 70s, in the wake of her death, I can't think of a woman rocker, particularly, unless I'm missing out completely. Susie Quattro. Susie Quattro, she is a good example. Yeah, and also Susie Sue from the Banshees. Yeah, what did you say? Sue. Ah, sorry, I was thinking of Susie... I thought I, I said Susie Q, so that's why I said Susie I thought you said as well, yeah. This is I, why I producers shouldn't fucking talk. Interrupt when, <laughs> when the talent is creating. Now, Susie Quattro came up in the early 70s, right? But, uh, but she wasn't Janice. She was uh, an Osmond's version of the Janice. Yeah, in a kind of... With a sort of rock facade, I guess, right? The yeah, she was... She, music, uh, yeah. Maybe people made a big deal about, oh, it's this girl in black know, leather, you know. know. Yeah, doing fucking pop hits written by the same people that write songs for Smokey oh, and Mud. Chin and Chapman. Yeah. Yeah, 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 great pop songs, by the way. Yeah, yeah. But give me a break. All right, so who followed in her footsteps then? Has anyone ever really done it? There are quite a few female singers oh, nowadays who sing in an extremely extravagant way. Oh, I think there are extraordinary female uh, musical personalities yeah. now. Yeah. There are ladies that have inverted the triangle, as you might say. They've belied the conventional idea Feated of the paradigm. It, that's where I'm aiming for. Just ask me. Alison Moyer. Any problems? Alison Moyer. All right, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. she was a, a big pop icon mm. when she exploded onto the scene. <laughs> But, you know, she was not Britney Spears, you know? It's true. Um, it's true. And there are lots of other examples, um, I think, particularly over the last sort of 10 or 20 years. Courtney Love, definitely in that space, although Courtney played on her sexuality a little mm. more obviously. The Riot Girl bands, they yeah, were, yeah, they were there you go. full of energy and aggression. There you go. And they dominated L7 space. L7 was great. Yeah. Also, in the early 70s, there was a group called Fanny. Yeah. Who were June and Jean Millington, the sisters, who I really fancied the arse off Jean. Mm. Um, if you're listening, Jean. Yeah, she was a bass player, actually, Joel. Of course, they're always yeah. the hottest. Yeah, of course they are. 
I yeah, suppose yeah. what I'm leaning towards, in the absence of us yeah, coming up with... Yeah, what are you leaning towards? Well, in the absence of us coming up with loads of candidates who, who followed in Janice's footsteps, is that maybe she was just way ahead of the curve by like a decade or two. There wasn't really a, a successor to her who looked or sounded like her for quite some time. No, there wasn't. No. So she was alone in that sense. I don't know who it was. Someone said that the pioneers get all the arrows, and she did. And she did blast open a space for people to follow in her footsteps, but that took decades to happen, it would appear to me, if we can't think of many people who were uh, Janice alikes. So Mick, come oh, on, yeah. let's talk oh, briefly, yeah. uh, if you briefly. will, if you will, about the uh, star rating which we're going to assign to mm. the late Janice Joplin. Star quality, marks out of five. Should we give her five stars? I think we're going to. I think we've we have got to, to, don't we? It's we have to do to. with her looks or her background. It's how she looked on stage. She, she was crazy. A, as I say, check out the Dick Cavett interviews yeah. with her mm. on YouTube. Yeah. Because the minute she comes on, you can't take your eyes off her. Silent. Can't that's take a, that's my a true, eyes off of true star. You. We've talked a lot about her influence and essentially her legacy. A taste for excess. Well, there we go. I mean, five. It's got to be, hasn't it? Really? Five point five for everything. You yeah, know, yeah. Sex, the lot. Yeah. Death as a career move. Now, this is an interesting one because she is a member of the of the Hated Twenty Seven Club. Her final posthumous album was a big seller, possibly because she died. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Me and Often. Bobby McGee became a hit, didn't it? Yes. Uh, in the wake of that. Do you know I interviewed Chris Christopherson once? Did you? He was one of the best interviewees ever. Lovely, lovely man. Anyway. Did he talk about shagging Janice? He didn't. He talked about being high at Woodstock, though. There is a link here. Chris Christopherson in 75 starred in The Rose with Bette Midler. Uh The Rose was based on the life of Janis Joplin. Get the heck out of here. You didn't know that? No, I know nothing about this, really. And the other thing we've got to mention was that Janis played at Woodstock, of course, the slight matter of in 1969. Yeah, and it was a disaster. Um, Why was it a disaster? She helicoptered in. Oh, she was... um, Oh, she was off her face, right. She had to wait 10 hours to go on stage, right? You really don't need me to tell you, do you? I'd like you to. Well, I'll just, yeah. She arrived at 4pm in a helicopter. Like that? Love the smell of napalm. Charlie, don't surf. And when she was Never wait- get out of the boat! When she was waiting 10 hours to go on no, stage, well, the, the, did she the, have a cup no, of tea? No, they didn't say, Janice, you're going to wait 10 hours now. It was like, you're going to be on in a minute, on in a minute, on in a minute, because Woodstock <laughs> was such a fuck-up. I mean, she went on at 2am. Jimi Hendrix went on three hours after her. This poor management. When there were like three men and a goat left I mean, in the did field. These people know nothing. Did these hippies on acid know nothing of it's how to organise a festival and without I think toilets? Some of them had taken drugs. I think one of them may have had a very small sherry. <laughs> so anyway, I don't she, think she, Department of Health guidelines include she, heroin. She's uh, she's waiting a long time to go on, and you know if Janice had to wait five minutes, she'd shoot some smack. You know, <laughs> give her half an hour. There's another bottle of Southern Comfort. So by the time she actually hits the stage she's at twatted. two a.m., uh, oh, she's she's gone, way 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 gone. But there's a lovely quote from Pete Townsend of The Who, who was also Oh, there. that Pete Townsend, yeah? Yeah. yeah. As opposed to that other Captain Pete Townsend, <laughs> who nearly married Princess uh, Marjorie. Go on, go on, yeah. Yeah. This isn't a, an exact quote. You're paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> yes, she was really, you know, fucked up, but at the end of the day, she's still Janice Joplin. I think he said, actually, Janice on an off day is still incredible. No, he didn't say it. No, what he said was, yes, yeah, she was really fucked up, mm. like a fucked up bitch. He didn't uh, say that? You can't yes, he say did. that. No, he did say that. And uh, uh, I was there. He didn't say that. He doesn't even remember what he said, but I was there. <laughs> I said, Pete, you can't say that. He said, OK, let me rephrase. He said, even on her worst day, Janice is still Janice. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, so how do we get from uh, Janis Joplin to our next dead box star, mate? Well, purely off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. Purely off the <laughs> top of my head. It, it, it occurs to me that Bolin and Joplin dress similarly, with the feathers and the boas and the, the beads, which I didn't include. Yeah. Um, just, uh, just to show, mate. Yeah, yeah. By the way, thanks for giving that one away. No, I cut it out. <laughs> No, no, don't cut it out. It's good for you, lad. No, no, don't, don't cut it out. Please don't cut it out. It's much funnier if you don't. <laughs> cut the bit out where I say it's much funnier, but leave that bit in. It's just so meta. Yeah. <laughs> we are. We're meta. Very, very meta. We're meta with an L. <laughs> meta with an L. Come on. I'm not <laughs> reading. So how do we get from Janis Joplin to our next dead rock star who isn't Mark Bolan? <laughs> Both came to prominence with somewhat psychedelic, nay, <laughs> nay, <laughs> nay, and thrice nay, <laughs> cosmic bands. Janice liked her boogie, full tilt. Boogie. Our next artist liked his boogie, electric. Oh. While Janice wanted a Mercedes Benz, our next dead rock star was happier with tanks. Or even a mini. That is an incredibly... That is in poor taste. Very poor taste. We didn't write this. No one wrote this. I'm still off the top of my head. (laughs) Well, everyone, this has been yet another amazing uh, Seven Digital production. Thank you very much to them and to our fragrant producer, uh, Ian Callaghan. Thank you very much, Mick, and we'll see you next week. And are we going to attempt a Janis Joplin outro? Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all have one and I must make amends. <laughs> I'm shooting some heroin while drinking this drink. So, Lord, won't, won't you, you buy, buy me a Mercedes Benz? <laughs> 